Hey, what's up, Podcast America? And you know what, Mike? Let's just start with that one because I always forget my own. Boom. Training Northwest, which you can find at trainingnorthwestllc.com. And our full 2024 firearms range training calendar is up. And there's going to be some additions of, I believe it's June 9th, we're going to do a first aid and ham radio class. It's not posted yet, but nice. keep your eyes on the website. And Jordan is also working out some details. We're going to do a pasture-to-table class where folks are going to come out. You're going to have to butcher an animal and build a fire and cook your animal over an open fire the old nice. way. So it will be a long day, a full day. Um, but th- this is the one I'm actually most excited about because this is this is true like heritage skills, and these are the kinds of things that even if you're not someone who considers yourself a protector in society – you, you should be a homesteader in society. And so learning how to uh, butcher, or I should say slaughter, butcher, field dress, and cook an animal, like all in one. In the morning, it's going to be a living, breathing sheep. And in the evening, it's going to be tacos. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Not everyone has to fight, but everyone yep. has to eat. Yep. And if yeah. you are someone who wants to consider yourself a protector and defender of society, come out for range training because I think that it's irresponsible to carry a gun in public or to even keep a gun in your nightstand for home defense if you have not taking take in the time and the effort to go get yourself trained and sort of begin to develop that skill set because you can't you cannot go to a jiu-jitsu lesson and then be ready for the UFC you cannot lift weights one time and be fit for life so if if you want to consider yourself a protector in society and I think a lot of men want to like their ego wants to carry that role but they don't want to put the time and the response. Like it's response. It comes down to responsibility. They don't want to put the time and the effort into going out, getting some training, and then sustaining that training through their own dry fire work at home and you know occasional range days and whatnot. So, come see us. We'll get you started down that path. There's going to be more coming from me, probably like a uh, Patreon type channel on sort of the dry fire and sustainment type stuff you can do on your own at home. And uh, anyway, just just. Like I said, follow. you can follow us on social media or on the website. I think right when you go to my homepage, there's a spot to put in your email address. So you'll get my, uh, I sent out my first newsletter blast the other day. I promise not to blow you guys up more than, you know, four or five times a year, but just to keep yourself updated on new things that are coming. Also, new things that are coming, well, old thing that's coming again. Rifleman camp's going to be coming up, and yes, that sells is. out quickly. Yes, it is. So if you're interested, it's, I think it's already 25 percent sold out. Is it? Yes. God damn. So we're and we're adding. We're also adding ham radio to it this year. So Brent, Brent's all best on board. class, best class yep. ever. Adult, yep. adult. It's it's Boy Scouts adult for adults. Camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> adult summer Boy camp. Scout camp for grown men. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, get if that's something that interests you, jump on it quickly because it it almost certainly will sell out. Um. All right, so we have we got a couple of podcasts to go over because I, f- I feel like the gym is turning into the Marvel Universe where there's all these yep. different uh, <laughs> sort of different characters <laughs> arising. We have our best friend Tyler Stanaway, who again I'm not even going to try to explain what everything he's got going on over there. But go to compassionateviking.com and follow him on social media as well to stay up to date with him. We have our other best friend Christy Campbell and her podcast Coffee, Coffee Talk. Talk. And also her Fit Me Nutrition and yes. Business Coach Manager. Biz Coach yes. Manager, I believe is the name. I'm yes. probably butchering it. But again, go follow her on Instagram or head over or search Coffee Talk in your in your all podcast, podcast applications. Yep. 
And then we got Danny Leyland, and his podcast is called White Belt Mafia. White Belt Mafia. And I have not had a chance to listen to that one yet, but I hear I heard his every, everybody's Jordan. talking about it, it so good. it must be good. And then we got one more. Our <laughs> our fourth best friend, Will Notel. Yeah, patriotic islander. It's getting a lot to keep up with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> got a Rolodex like over said, here. It's, it's a Marvel universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just put out his pilot episode, and uh, I believe content's coming soon, once a week for it. So now that that pilot's out, I know he's on Spotify. He's probably on Apple as well. Go give him a follow. He's a great he's going to be on YouTube. I'm pretty sure as well. Awesome. He's awesome. the only smart guy that does video. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so today Mike and I, uh, sort of following last week's conversation, wanted to talk about vigilantism, and that's what we did. Yeah, vigilante, it, not only safety, but uh, your personal well-being, like your food, uh, what it means to be a strong mentally and emotionally, um, just how to be a strong individual that protects yourself from everything this world has to offer, but then that leads to government, that leads to corruption, that leads to everything we talk about, you know, the, yeah. the basics. Yep. Enjoy the show, you guys. I miss Jordan. <laughs> a little bit. All right, we're recording, and we're missing our spirit animal, and we're both feeling a little flat because we just uh, we worked out and did sauna cold plunge. And I'm that, not flat. I'm on a cloud. You're on a cloud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if it just relaxes me too much or if it's that it it's like a complete exhaustion because between the workout and then your body's actually working really hard in the sauna and the cold plunge as well. It's a lot of cardio when you're in that sauna. Yeah. 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 So it's like we just stressed ourselves for a solid two and a half, three hours. And I don't know if I'm feeling exhaustion or if I'm feeling zen. <laughs> Both. Yeah. Is there a difference really? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe not. I think that's what runner's high is. is. You run so much, you get exhaustion, euphoria. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a little bit of like, uh, we used to call it droning in the army when you're walking for miles and miles and miles all through the night and you tend you, you you're almost like half asleep like your brain turns off and you just sort of focus on the person in front of you just go autopilot yeah exactly yeah it is weird when you go autopilot throughout stuff in life like driving you ever notice oh hi, uh, highway hypnosis yeah <laughs> i've had that a whole bunch of times where <laughs> i'll be on my way to my uh my folks place in oregon and it's like wait a minute how did we get to Vancouver? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like the last last time I remember, we were in Olympia. Yeah. Yeah. Bunch of fast food trash bags and Red Bull cans <laughs> around you, and you just kind of come to, you're like, what the hell happened? Yeah. <laughs> the good road trip, man. Good old road trips. Yeah. Oh, well, we have no Jordan. We have so. no Jordan. Um, I think that he's, means he's coaching high school wrestling today. And that guy puts, he doesn't talk about it, but he puts a shitload of his own time into coaching that team. Oh my God. Yeah. A ton of time. It, it's, it's serious dedication. So, well, not only is it like the practice, you know, like daily after work and then help coach daily at the high school. But then it's like, Oh, I got my weekend to look forward to. And it's full Saturdays completely taken from morning till night with those tournaments. Yeah. So yeah. it's like you get one day for yourself and yeah. you get all the shit done in your life. Pretty as well. much. Yeah. But no evenings either. Yeah. Yeah. Hell of a commitment. Yeah. Um, That's why I quit coaching wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was I was relieved from my position as T-ball manager. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. I was not relieved. Um, well, shit. I was going to save this for when Jordan gets back, but I think, I'm hoping we'll have Brent in here next week. Um, I was thinking about Batman and vigilantism mm. and sort of ties into last weekend's conversation about how rule of law is breaking down and the authorities who ostensibly exist to, you know, sort of uphold law and order are no longer doing their job. At what point will we see the rise of sort of neighborhood and community vigilantism as people realize that if they want to keep crime out of their neighborhoods, they're going to have to do it themselves or will we? Yeah. Well, you'd think it would most likely start in the city. Right, if you if if crime is a driving factor and it's not getting mitigated, that the people dealing with it the most, i.e., the Skid Row of Seattle, uh, all those smash and grab things of people grabbing eight hundred dollars or less, or probably technically more of stuff and running out of the stores, um, you you start to see kind of videos of people getting fed up, and like there was that during that COVID and then the riots and then it seemed to be all those smash and grab kind of things happening. There was an old lady, like I think it was in Tennessee and some like blue haired old lady with yeah. a shopping cart at like a Walmart. And she, she's blocking off a bunch of people trying to steal stuff. Yeah. And it's like, what is that? Is that this is happening in these urban areas more and you're starting to see people kind of getting sick of it or at that time, it wasn't that long that that stuff was happening. You're seeing people with strong morals being like, this isn't right. Um, and well, so when do you step in in your area or your community if you're seeing that stuff happening? Or if you're seeing constant drug people in Seattle breaking into businesses? At what point do citizens get frustrated with their livelihood and their job or even their community being diminished and they want that to stop? Yeah, A, yes. <laughs> B, down in Seattle, it kind of feels like people are just sort of letting it, like they are they adapting to it and turning a blind eye to it. And it makes me wonder how low and how bad it has to get before, I mean, obviously the 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 citizenship of Seattle is, is very left-leaning and they kind of asked for this in a lot of ways and a lot of them are probably having a little whiplash of our ideas aren't working out. And we're clinging on to them and not wanting to acknowledge and say, hey, we were wrong and this is this is not working. Yeah. But how, how low do you have to go? Like yeah. how how rampant does crime have to become before you say, hang on a minute, this is a fucking problem. And even, you know, now in 2020, well, it's 24 now, but in 23, remember there was that video of the, the two Sikh brothers who own, I think, like a little supermarket down in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And they beat the shit out of that guy who was trying to steal from them with like a, a mop handle. Yeah, and they're uh, last I heard, I think they're on trial. But the public was widely, or at least the local public, was like, "Yeah, fuck those guys! How how dare they beat this guy up?" And it's like, man, imagine that being your livelihood. Like, people think that they hear business owner and they assume wealthy, which isn't the case at all. Especially if you're running a little tiny neighborhood supermarket, you barely have the budget to keep the shelves stocked and then pay your own like living expenses. Yeah, And so when you see someone in there stealing the product off the shelves, 
that that's it. That that's now you don't have the ability to pay your own mortgage or your own rent at the end of the month. And it's like, yeah, of course they started fucking beating him with a mop handle. That, that he's lucky. That's all that that he had done to him. But where is the compassion for the small business owner? Yeah, <clears throat> you know, because this problem all stemmed from this idea of we have to be compassionate to addicts. That, yeah. that that's where this all started. Well, and that compassion for addicts turned into tolerance for crime. Yeah. Well, and that's why I say, like, I don't think you can get away with that as much in the rural areas here. Uh, and I mean, it does kind of happen. I mean, it happens everywhere. Crimes up everywhere and um, violent crimes are up. But the places where we kind of allow it to happen, like in the downtown of the Seattle, I, I look at that as an interesting factor because like i said that's where you have the hardest of the skid rows and that's where you have the most businesses being assaulted and even though they're a bit more liberal it's like well how far can the human spirit the the american dream of the entrepreneurship the the community and this is my place where i live and i have kids and family how far do you let that go before you start pushing back and resisting on it i think to me that's the canary in the coal mine is a place that allows it but then really starts to 180 like they say the pendulum always shifts and usually it shifts due to pressure making things uncomfortable Will there come to be a point in Seattle where it's like the citizens are like, all right, druggies and crime people, I got the broom and the water bottle, scat, you okay. know? Like, when does the citizen step up? Vigilanteism doesn't necessarily mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm the cop, I'm the judge, I'm the executioner. I think, to me, vigilanteism a little bit means more like the citizens, the group, everyone taking a little bit more, not authority, but just... The space around yeah, you and in. making it a safer area or not allowing, you know, yeah. sh shit to happen. But then, like you said, the store owners, they, they kind of take matters into their own hand because this is happening a lot. No one's there to stop them. And now they get persecuted. Yep. So are you sending a message to the public in doing so judicially that when you start to take matters into your hand, we're going to come after you instead of letting us handle it. But then as a citizen, you're more frustrated because like, listen, motherfucker, you're not handling it. That's yeah. why I had to stick a broom handle up this guy's butt. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also this weird duality where, <clears throat> God dang it. Um, so the citizens of Seattle wanted a society in which, responsibility is taken away from the individual and given to the to the state in this case the city where where government services provide security they provide social services yada 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 and the individual is responsible for very little but then they started going toward limiting the the reach of certain social services specifically police right defund the police reduce the number of officers um one of the guys here at the gym had his truck broken into on uh, uh, Big Tom on New Year's Eve and it took two days for him to get in contact with the police and then they told him sorry we only have two officers on duty in the North Precinct at any one time and I think as an overall department the Seattle Police Department is like 530 officers short of its full staffing so they're hurting big time for people because of the public resentment toward the institution that the public said we want them to provide our security we won't want we don't want to do it for ourselves and so now they've they've sort of created this situation themselves. And I guess 
leads me right back to how low do they have to go before they acknowledge, hey, our ideas were fucked up and we were wrong and we need to try something different. It's this weird human tendency to cling on to, it's almost like it's part of your identity. Like, hey, this I, I, I was so vested in this idea that I just can't let it go. Yeah. No matter, no, I can see it failing miserably in front of my face and I'm going to maintain that I am correct indefinitely. Well, is that that's not so much of a uh, a government problem? That's a problem with people in the government that have no, it's normal citizens. It's the voters. It's a voter problem. Yeah, but, but the I voters mean, have the voters can see plainly that the things they have voted for are failing, and yeah. they and they continue to vote for it. But I mean, that person like uh, the Seattle City Council. Um, God, what's the Indian woman's oh, name? Oh God, there's a there's a. Pramala J. Pal. Yeah. And uh, who was the other one who they tried to recall? Um, I want to say ACO, but not, not her. No. <laughs> uh, oh, I yeah, I can't I, say I her forget name. her name. Yeah. But like. Kashama Sawant. Yes. There we go. But I mean, that human condition, is it really that she believes this is the best way for the city to be? Or is it like she got like hype and she got validation because of people well, supporting yes. her. Yes. And it's better to watch it burn down than to admit you're wrong and try yes. and restructure. Hang, hang, maintain that support. Maintain that little bit of authority and power and that, that uh, uh, oh, what's the, the endorphin you get? Um, Up and after? No. Oh. God damn it. Oxytocin? Love. No. Love. <laughs> Love. You want some oxytocin, my yeah. friend? <laughs> Hang on, dopamine. Hang on, <laughs> dopamine. hang on, hang on to that little dopamine high that they got from their public support, and just try to hang on, hang on, hang on. Again, when it's failing miserably right in front of their face. Yeah. And for a lot of like the city council members, a lot of them are so isolated because they live in like the richer parts of town. No, it's it's not in their face. So they're they are disconnected from what the average small business owner down in like. Soto is having to deal with. Does the Seattle City Council member make much money? I, I bet they make 150k a year. I don't know. We'd have to search it. Do you think yeah, I could run for later. Seattle City Council? I'd vote for you. <laughs> what you do? Could you imagine me campaigning? Oh, <laughs> He's eight minutes late. Eight <laughs> yeah. minutes late to his own speech. <laughs> this is Kozak time, people. <laughs> yeah, he started late, but he had a really good platform. I'd like to think. <laughs> I would. Wouldn't that be crazy to engage in public speaking events as to your community and what you think is, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it, and our say our council members don't fight. I feel like having a sit like like this is supposed to be a debate of ideas and stuff. But most of the Seattle, like the council members, they listen to the citizens. And then they just kind of agree with each other and pass notions. Yeah. Like a real city council should be like a 24-hour live feed of them just yelling back and yes. forth. Yeah. yeah. Like it should be diverse opinions. Maybe yes. that's would help would be if you got like three Republicans and three Democrats mandatory on a council and it was just debate. Yeah. Or nothing would get done like our government and, <laughs> you know, they'd stall each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah. back to uh, vigilantism, um, I think it happens more because, or it's more likely to happen because these the community doesn't feel safe. I mean, look at murders every year, 
since 2020 and they keep exponentially going up. Look at crime. It keeps going exponentially up and police officers keep going down or response times, like you're saying with Big Tom, keep going down. So at what point on this X chart does one rising and one lowering kind of meet in the middle for citizens to be like I this critical mass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know that it does because, again, you have most the majority population overwhelmingly believes in like strict gun control and against owning guns themselves they aren't physically fit enough to fight they're not you know what i mean they're not going to ivan's gym down there to learn how to throw yeah. a roundhouse <laughs> 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 their their plan is to call 911 and in their mind the police will appear outside their door but nobody thinks about the fact that 911 times are down to, it's down to like 15 minutes if they even answer your call. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of stories out of like uh, Chicago and Minneapolis of 911 calls just going unanswered because they don't have the staffing to answer all the calls. Yeah. So now they're trying to triage, they're doing their best to answer with the operators they have and then they're having to triage the calls. Well, to me, I kind of think of it like a, um, God, what do they call it in science? Like for an action to happen, it has to be because of a reaction. Like mm -hmm. a nerve, for a nerve to fire, it has to get stimulated hard enough. You can kind of push against it a little bit. Doesn't necessarily, yeah. yeah. But until you really push it to get that, yeah, ah, kind yeah. of effect, <laughs> it, it takes stimulus. And so are we start, how, how long of time does it take a nation, a city, a, a, city a, a community of being stimulated in that way before you start to see action and repercussion, that nerve firing and now the body's reacting, the citizen, i.e.? Yeah, yeah, you're right. And that, that, that's like a uh, micro for even the whole country, you know, the, yeah. on a macro scale. Because, you know, as we slide into a recession... How low do we have to go? How much money do we have to ship to Ukraine? How expensive does life have to get before yeah. people before the majority goes, hey, what the fuck? And actually, I think we're there. I think the reason they're trying to get Donald Trump off the ballot is they know that if the election is fair and legal, he's going to have like 70% of the vote because people are fed the fuck up. Yeah. And I think, I, I believe there will be some attempts at cheating and I believe they're going to do everything they can possibly think of, imagine to keep him off the ballot because if he does actually take uh, the executive office, I think a lot of those people are worried they're going to go to jail. Yeah. I, I think that the corruption, that, geez, the corruption is so widespread and so obvious that they all know that if a person who is willing to spearhead real investigations and hold uh, real trials and have real sentencing gets into office, they're in big trouble. That's one thing that worries me, though, about him is would he really make that happen? Like, I'm not pro or con Donald Trump, um, but there are things I disagree with, and especially, like, the keeping of Fauci around. Yeah. And, like, if you look at certain members of the cabinet, just how many people he would hire, fire, hire, fire, yeah. to kind of, once again, have someone else do the job. Do you think he has the real, the the bullheadedness or the strength I wonder, to persecute? I wonder if he wouldn't actually be a better president this time around because he can learn. He definitely... Yeah, that the whole revolving door of uh, cabinet members mm -hmm. was fucking wild during his presidency. But I'm not trying to make excuses for it, but I wonder if 
this was his first go in government, right? Yeah. So he stepped yeah. straight into the fire with no experience. And I wonder if next time around, now that he's had four years to reflect, if he wouldn't make a lot more solid choices from the perspective of the mistakes made and seeing how how much power those cabinet members were able to exercise to affect his decision make or not his decision making, but to sort of negate him mm-hmm. and that having the wrong people in really like it was kind of a big mistake. Like he made some big mistakes with personnel choices. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if those mistakes won't lead to better personnel choices. Should he have a second term? Well, and you have a lot of people that still don't like Trump um, because of smear campaign and not like, what was his policy? Just, He's racist. He's sexist. The the normal things you throw out hey, there. That wasn't his policy. That was you're you're saying the smear campaign. Yeah, yeah. The oh. smear campaign. It, people aren't against him because of what his policy was, but because of saying, "Oh, I don't Grab like Trump." By the pussy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But then it's like, well, this thing that was supposed to be. Let me come back to uh, the adults back in the room and reasonability and having oh, Biden God. will bring normalcy. But if you look at how many how, young how many voters, transvestite fucking cabinet members can we <laughs> pack in here? To- but a lot of young voters of that ilk, of that LGBTQ, of this uh, drug addicts are cool, everyone's a victim. Um, they don't like Biden, and especially a lot has to do with the Israel Gaza thing. And so those voters aren't going to vote for Biden and they won't necessarily vote for Trump. And so it makes you wonder where those votes will start to go if like the RFK gains traction instead of our two people that so many people don't want, it seems like. I I think a lot of I don't think you can include Trump and the people don't want. I think sixty to seventy percent of America wants him. But those blue haired people don't want him too and they're a big vote. (coughs) But those that's making me think like once again going towards vigilanteism, like even those people are starting to be like the system's kind of fucking me. Yes. And that's where I wonder where those votes are like where does the how far did those people get pushed? Yeah, I voted for Biden, and four years later, I'm still making minimum wage at Starbucks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I wonder if some of those people, as they, you know, they were 21 in the last election, so now they'll be 25. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they won't be looking around and going like, "Well, you know what? In 2019, I was, I was doing pretty well financially, and mm. now I'm struggling to uh, fill my gas tank and buy my groceries." Yeah. And suddenly you go, you know what? Biden didn't sit at my dinner table. Yeah. Why the fuck do I care who's in the Oval Office? Yeah. What I, what I care about is the cost of gas and the cost of fucking cheese. And if you're more likely to lean towards that thinking, you're probably closer to a city than living out in the country. Yeah. And so now you're not only is it more expensive and it's tougher to live, but also your city feels a bit more dangerous too when the person's saying, I'm going to bring normalcy back. Yes. And if this, uh, if this trend of crime continues, like, like it, Seattle literally will be Gotham City in five years. Yeah. You know what I mean? where the police just don't give a fuck because there's not enough of them. They're outnumbered by violent thugs. And everywhere, most of the small restaurants and bars in the downtown area are closed. Yeah. Like there's, Jordan and I went walking around down there two Christmases ago after the company Christmas party because it used to be fun to go bar hopping after the Christmas party. Mm -hmm. We had to walk a mile to find an open bar. (laughs) Yeah. Downtown is closing up shop. Uh blues on every corner but yeah. not a bar that's open yeah exactly yeah 
Yeah, it... How far... How far is far? I mean, that's what vigilantism is. How far do you get pushed? Once again, that nerve getting stimulated. Yeah. What What is the point in which you're like every... Well, and then it makes me kind of also think like, have you ever heard of like a lot of libertarians will throw out the idea of having police forces being contracted out? Like instead of it being your tax dollars funding, like we'll allocate, here's our budget for uh, safety, but uh, I think there was a couple cities that tried it, maybe in Texas or in the Midwest, that instead of having a police department, they're like, hey, bid for being the police. What is your, co- like a bunch of contractors, I, write I, a doctrine. What are, what are your skills? What are your performances? And if a group wasn't performing adequately enough, you could fire them like a business. Yeah. No, and, and have them work in their community. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you could match what I make right now as a, as a general foreman and pay me to be a police officer in the community in which I live, I'd probably say yes. Yeah. And I'm pretty well qualified to do it. Um, the other thing I was going to say is sort of a uh, Mike Zedong type model might be to make it a requirement of property management that you must serve on a community uh, like a community watch type Ooh. organization where, you know, one night a month you're on duty. Yeah. And it's just your job to hang out in your, your little neighborhood block, whatever, you know, or like for four, four years, every citizen is required to have some sort of authoritarian position, like, like authoritarian, like being part of police, being part of community outreach, being part of these things that promote safety. Yeah. But then, and then have all these, Neighborhood watches comprised of home or property owners who then are in contact with the actual police officers on duty in that that city or precinct or whatever. (coughs) And that way you have eyes and ears everywhere for the sake of reporting and give them a little bit of authority to actually intervene in crimes and and, uh, make arrests. Um, And that's a way to have people who are they're vested in their own community, obviously. And then that, that puts a lot more bodies out on the street. Um, Not only does it put more bodies on the street, but being a police officer, I think is a tough job personally for that individual, because what you're constantly seeing is the worst of the worst and dealing with that crime. And then as normal Joe citizen, you don't see that. So you have one person being overburdened and dealing with the 5% of the population that's a piece of shit and the other part living completely a bit oblig- oblivious oblivious to those actions in the community and those people that are hurting or these people that have a rough life and need more investment. And as a citizen, if you were seeing that all the time, it would make you want to maybe clean your room up or cl- keep your house clean yeah, yeah. In, in, in a metaphorical sense of like my community needs me. It's better to raise children with stronger morals, to be a stronger part of the society or the community I live in to instill that this shit doesn't happen. And also that there are problems out here. Yeah. It's not me just going to work and filling up my gas tank and going to Costco. It's your 
creating more invested culture, society. Well, and if you live in a shitty part of town, you have a lot of incentive to want to clean it up because otherwise mm-hmm. you're going to have to deal with it every time it's your turn to be on patrol. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like fat shaming someone <laughs> or a community <laughs> yeah, exactly. into doing that. You want a safer community? Get <laughs> off your ass and be part of the fucking patrol. Yeah. Yeah, it it is a weird idea for vigilanteism just because we're so far f- removed from it. Just that idea of well, calling. And I, I wonder how long until, like, the more suburban neighborhoods start to go, okay, you know what? Let's at, let's at least have, like, a little group of us that are on speed dial. Just, you know, just in case. Yeah. Oh. Should have turned ringers off. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Podcast America. Yeah. I'm just going to make sure. Do we, do, we, do we need to talk to Danielle? <laughs> no, we're good. I'm just making sure it doesn't ring anymore. All right. There you go. Okay. Yeah. It, uh... Cause it just makes me think because where I'm moving next month, where the, this house I bought up north, it's a little HOA, but it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So I could, A, it's, it's far removed from the population centers where all the crime sort of sprouts up and, and emulates from or uh, radiates from. So it, it's very low probability that I'll have to deal with any of these issues up there. But at the same time, I could see that type of little community where they know they're isolated, you know, putting together a little neighborhood watch type of uh, uh, agreement. You all get bowling jackets, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> Crime stoppers <laughs> on, on the back. Hell yeah. If there's bowling shirts on there, <laughs> I'm so in. What do you think the difference is between crimes that exist in cities and in rural areas, because I mean, rural areas like rural here, areas, we it's have all more based on alcoholism drugs. and crystal meth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cities, it's based on fentanyl. Yeah, but it's less probably in rural areas still, even though we have our crime. Is yeah, it because the population they stick- is more spread out? Yeah. So there, there's a lot of opportunity for crime in population dense areas. Plus, you have all the. Uh, uh, the homeless industrial complex type nonprofit organizations that are handing out food and blankets and whatnot. So if you're someone who's sort of living that derelict life, you want to stay close to the hand that will feed you. Yeah. And Do then you, look for crimes. of Most of these crimes are crimes of opportunity. And there's yeah. more opportunity where there's more people. Do you think all of it is necessary homeless? Because I've heard wild stats that like since covid there are 10 million children that are unaccounted for in school systems not meaning they've been abducted but meaning that kids that were kind of on the outs have just committed themselves a life to right their parents were already homeless and the school was like the one little bit of stability like it was like where they ate breakfast and lunch and the little bit of stability they had and they've just sort of disappeared into the street life yeah yeah so you're making more derelicts out there it's weird. I've all I've heard the stat that in the summer, um, crime always goes up and murder always goes up in the summer. Uh, and the best explanation I've always heard it for is that you have young men out and about yeah. without structure, yeah. and they don't have to be to school. They don't have to do certain things, and that's when you get groups of young men causing trouble, and yeah. that's where They're crime bored. and murder happens 100%. from. Yeah. And that seems to be way bigger since 2020. Is that part of 2020 happening? Is that 10 million young men just not having purpose or life's tough and the homeless community is bigger and the drug community is bigger? Does yeah. that fuel it? I think it's all of it. It's, it's harder now 
it's harder to buy a first house. If you're, you know, if you're 28 years old and a professional and you're trying to buy your first house, it's damn near impossible because the prices are so high and the interest rates are so high. So it has to be the same for an 18 year old who's just moving out of his house. And I know because I just got divorced that a one bedroom apartment in Snohomish County is about $2,100 a month. It's crazy. And that doesn't, and then they tack on, you know, like the water sewer garbage and power, et cetera, on top of that. So you're looking at like twenty four, $2,500 a month to rent a single bedroom apartment around here. So if you're 18 years old and you're trying to get your first job and just trying to get out there and make it, it's got to be like, what do you do? What, yeah. do, what do you do? Move back in with the parents. <laughs> yeah, or you end up living on the streets with your, with your fucking derelict buddies. Yeah. Do you think if we, like, World War II um, internment camps of the Japanese rounded up all young men, crime would stop a lot more? All young men? Mm, maybe young men... With that so unemployed, like an, no, an entirely unemployed, society. unemployed young men. I'm just saying, like, do you think if you were to do that and put them in internment camps, crime would dramatically reduce? Not I saying think, it's wrong or I, right. I don't, would think, it? I don't even think unemployed. I think if you rounded up all drug addicted people on the streets, crime would fucking plummet. Yeah. But <laughs> we don't do anything. No, we don't because a lot of people make six-figure salaries to work on the homeless problem. Well, and I'm not even, like, anti-drug. I'm more just, like, don't even do it in public. Like, if you, like... If you're able to maintain a 40-hour-a-week job and pay all your own bills, yeah. get fucked up on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the moment that you're living on the streets, leaving your uh, expended needles on the sidewalk, taking shits on the... Like, you're not... You're no longer living. You're slowly dying. No. And, and in a very horrible way. Let's let's either get you into a camp and clean you up or just fucking put you in the trebuchet and feed the orcas. <laughs> yeah, launch them out to sea. <laughs> <laughs> Someone needs to make a t-shirt of that. I know, that's a good one. I do like it. Uh, yeah, then, I don't know. It's, I mean, didn't Snohomish County start to reverse some of these drug things? Like, Marysville's trying to clean it up that you can't do drugs in public. Oh, God. So, okay. Walking out of the grocery store to come here today, <laughs> there is a Marysville police vehicle in the parking lot, and the officer is out talking to some woman who's probably trying to steal groceries. But following on from last week's episode, where I was talking about, you know, I'm, I'm so fed up with the failures of the institutions that just kind of, I'm going to play by my own rules, and anybody wants to fight about it, just come on. And I looked at the police officer, and I can't even tell you if it was a male or female, because it he or she looked about 14 years old and had the physicality of a 14-year-old boy. Nice. And I just thought to myself, this is the person who they're going to tell, hey, you need to go arrest Tobin. Yeah. <laughs> Good fucking <laughs> luck. <laughs> a little twink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah. we talked about that a little bit on the last episode. Like the COVID thing affecting the police, or not COVID, but uh, defund the police. 
I think a lot of the good ones have stopped working. Like they want to get out or they I, went to departments or I communities that, if, that really it, pushed it more. Yes. So I, now you have communities more liberal like the Seattle taking whoever they can because they just need bodies in the street at this point. Yes. Well, what does that cop really do? Does that cop strive for leadership, make a difference in the community, help instill values and morals in people? Or it's just now you're starting like the Germany back in the day to just... I need people that will follow orders and do their job. Uh, they're looking for people who will follow their orders and do what they're told. The problem is, is again, because society has sort of uh, uh, glamorized this new version of of humanity that is fat and weak, mm. and so, you know, like it's it's okay to be fat and weak, and uh, so the people who are, they're both weak mentally and weak physically are the ones who fall in line when authority tells you to do something. Yeah. So all your yes men are mentally weak. Yeah. So then you come up against, you know, take, take the group of people that we associate with who are mentally very fucking tough. Yeah. And to me, that is why I have so much confidence in our ability to resist until the bitter end. Yeah. It's because we are mentally tough. Yeah. And People who fall into line are mentally weak. But isn't it our job as tough people to instill weaker people to become tough? Like those strong cops and stuff yes. that left, no, I, that I, hurts I and creates a scar in the community. So yes. where do those people... Well, that, this, this ties into the conversation. Is I think that because our communities are being run by authoritarians who hire mentally weak people, it will crash. It, it's it's not sustainable. You cannot function a society that way. Yeah. And at some point, there will come a point where we will slowly, or not we, but people with constitution will slowly begin to reassume control of society, whether by, you know, legal official channels or just indirectly. You know yeah. what I mean? When a weak, sh when a, sorry, when a strong leader arrives, they just naturally begin to lead. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether they were voted in or have the proper documentation. No. Strong leaders always rise no. and end up leading their whatever whatever their little sphere of influence is, they become a leader in that in that sphere. How do we get stronger leaders into politics or into government or into these structures? I, I think there needs to be one of the one of the things I like about Vivek Ramaswamy is that he talks about completely just closing down the FBI, closing down all these, like we really do have to start over because the, there has to be a 100% just you're all out and we're, we're recreating everything from the ground up. Yeah. I, th I think the corruption is so deep. The mentality of bureaucracy and just sort of like maintaining your little fiefdom of, of influence and dem or bureaucratic sort of power it, it's so entrenched that all of these people need to go. Well, do you think and they, that they'll, they'll have to struggle for work because if you've been a 20 year government bureaucrat, you aren't qualified to do a fucking thing. Yeah. You are literally the most unqualified person on planet earth. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, do you think that they could like, they should, they fire everybody say fire every, I mean, you still need a form of FBI. 
the way that it is is certain areas you, have you, become yes. corrupt. No, I agree, but you'll have to start a new a new agency from with with people who have never been in maybe never even been in law enforcement. Especially at the administrative level. You're gonna need tra- I mean, I'm sure there's there's still good people in the FBI. There are good people in every agency. Yeah. But they are also mentally weak and afraid to step out of line. Do you think a lack of transparency, having these these people operate in their own insulated bubble where it's like you've got this allowance and this amount of time, you do whatever you want in this kind of field, a lack of transparency and accountability creates the ability to fuck over the system, to fuck people, to create corruption, to create these things. If everything the government did that was shady was known by the citizens, it probably wouldn't last very long because there would be so much outcry or there would be so, you know, just it's visible. It's easier to be a pervert when no one's watching than to be a pervert in front of a giant group of people. Yes. You know what I I mean? I think that's happening right now with that. And that's why uh, Elon Musk is under attack with Twitter and they're trying to shut down all of these sort of, again, the, the, the internet and everybody having a smartphone in their pocket has created this uh, propagation of information that's unprecedented. Yeah. And, that's why there's all this scramble. I think that's why we're going through all this upheaval right now is because suddenly we have access to a ton of unfiltered information. And so now everybody's awakening. We're finding out how fucked up the system actually is and how corrupt it is. Um, and I think the old power system, the people within it, are scrambling to try like crazy to maintain control of their power. It's, it's like a, it's, it, is, it is a dying gasp of the old system. Yeah. But then, so it makes me think for a new system, you would need more transparency. Yes, because because information is going to flow so freely with, with this new technology that we do need a transparent system. And that requires people of honor to, to fill the positions within it. Probably also a mission statement or more of a doctrine. Like, what does the FBI do? No fucking clue. I know. Well, no, that they, they're they, supposed they have to have a mission statement. We could look it up. Yeah, it's yeah, be yeah. To provide but foreign, what, you know, counterintelligence activity and law enforcement. Right. Okay. Or, sorry, domestic. So that's very vague, though. Yes. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like they, transparency. They take great liberties with the language <laughs> yeah, and the interpretation yeah, yeah, yeah. of it. Yeah. So like a doctrine that is very specific as to what your agency does, like. But then they'll create like a secret subdivision within the agency that has its own charter to spot, you know what I mean? To so enforce every, the Patriot Act. And, but and every time secrecy is omitted, that's where you create the ability for corruption. If we wanted to do this over in the Vivek idea where it's like burn it all down and restart it, you would need transparency constantly happening. This is kind of like the Mike Zedong idea where it's like, oh, you could vote on everything. But, and that's how, I don't know, actions, bills, everything happens is more of a vote-based process. That gives you transparency in knowing what's constantly happening, eliminating corruption. But then it makes me also think, like, America is so diverse and different that you're going to constantly have people voting for and against and whatever anything ever get done. There's going to be clashing all the time. I, 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 I do think about that a lot of, you know, transparency, why there feels to be so much 
so many people fed up is because I do believe that exchange of idea provides all this. The release of emails, FOIA requests, uh, hacks, all these leaks, that's providing information to the citizen, which thus makes the temperature of the country boil and get a little bit more crazier. But it's due to instant communication, the communication yes. of what's happening in government brought to the eyes of the citizen. Yes. So if communication and transparency is constantly key, would a more successful FBI be one that's more involved with its citizens and transparent and honest and giving daily briefs to the cit- the country more so than briefs to this is our shadow <laughs> little uh, operation we're running over here to try and sway uh, a group of rebels that, in our mind, is going to provide national security and lack of terrorists or threat. Yeah. I, dude, I'm trying to think of what the right answer. There is no like, There is no answer. right answer yet. I was about to say maybe every law enforcement and intelligence agency every eight years just needs to be disbanded and restarted from scratch. But then you maintain no capability. But that's the idea of a president. Like I always think like China has a much better ability of getting shit done because if you have one guy in power for say 30 years, well, that vision has a lot of time. Maybe it's a bad vision. Maybe it's a good vision. But the ability for one group to get shit done over a 20-year period is going to probably be more efficient than a group coming in every eight years doing something, getting disbanded. But a group that's constantly in and then out won't allow corruption. That's kind of like the term limits things. Every government official, if you have senators that have been in power for 40 years... Will you have the ability to be swayed, corrupted, and to do your own fuckery in the government? You, you could end that real fast by enforcing treason and having a division of the FBI that is literally exists to oversee the House and the Senate. Taking, if you're taking improper money from a lobbyist, fucking hang you on the White House lawn. If yeah. you're conducting insider trading, hang you on the White House lawn. And within like two, three hangings, you'd have all the all the all the corruption sewn up pretty neatly. I bet. Yeah, a purge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't take. You'd only have to swing a few before they said, "You know what? Fuck it. I'm not. I'm not doing insider trading. I'm not. I'm not signing contracts with my. Uh, or I'm not going to declare war on Ukraine just so that Raytheon can get some big contracts on some guided munitions." Well, then not only is it um, like communication or clarity or transparency but its consequences need to be more enacted or emphasized yeah literally enforced like, yeah treason is already a crime yeah but and doesn't seem like yeah right yeah exactly it's not thin ice but if it was really if consequences were more of a thing in this country it would probably make people monitor their character a little bit compared to yeah i got caught i got slapped on the wrist i'll go on a apology tour yeah. and then i'm back in office yeah. or doing you know yeah right. i gotta pee we either gotta pause it or you gotta talk to yourself <laughs> <laughs> all, right, pause. all right peeing is complete we're back mike we left off we're talking about vigilantism and i brain farted a little bit you're good i got this um also with vigil being 
vigilante isn't necessarily, in my eyes, you got me thinking, it's not just like uh, standing up uh, against crime and stuff, but like everything a lot, ev- everyone preaches here about, you know, no one's coming to save you. Take things into your own hands. Your health is being your own vigilante uh, for your body in your autonomy. Uh, your education, like reading things, being well informed, trying that's being mind, body, spirit. That's, yeah, that's yeah, one yeah. of the things I, I kind of push with training Northwest is mind, body, spirit is your primary weapon system. It's not the gear you buy and put in a closet or in a safe. It's fucking you. And you need to be physically fit. You need to be of clear and sharp mind, and you need to be spiritually centered. And it's weird that everything that gives you strength, being your own vigilante in life, ooh, I like that. Ooh, That's sure. our T-shirt. Yeah, there we uh, that is what they're saying is racist or wrong. Yes. Looking at... Tox- that's toxic masculinity. Yeah. Being strong is racist. Doing your own research, well, that's conspiracy and dumb and racist. Yeah. You know, all these things that provide you self-strength is being Lif- demonized. Lifting weights is uh, white for white supremacists. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. My mind conf weights. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Why are all the dumbbells shaped like the swastikas? <laughs> yeah. Put on a little mustache as I uh, do bench press. <laughs> Oh my god. But it's being demonized and it's it makes me think if it keeps society does get to a point where it really does fall apart and it's like, "Oh, we've got roaming bands of people robbing." Are they going to be like, "Hey, if you stop one of these roaming bands, you're a racist because these people need that and honestly, like how far would it go where Standing up and being protecting yourself, whether it's through food, through education, through safety and community, will they ever stop kind of demonizing that? That they want the system, you to be dependent on the system? No, the, the government as it stands right now will not because they want you dependent on them because that gives them power and authority. And it also gives them wealth. Um, if you look at like food stamps. Yeah. So food stamps, you're allowed to buy, you know, Kellogg's and General Mills and whatnot. And when you have sort of lesser means, then you're not going to go over, you know, when I go grocery shopping, I go to the produce section and then I grab some coffee out of the aisle and then I go to the meat section. And that's that whole shop the periphery of the grocery store idea. You shouldn't, you really shouldn't have to go down the the aisles other than to get things like uh, coffee and hot sauce. Yeah. And, but if you're of limited means, then you shop the cheap shit, the pop tarts, the, uh, the frozen fish sticks. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Because you can feed everybody on very little. And so what welfare and food stamps are is basically subsidizing the big food companies like Kellogg's, like General Mills, like Coca-Cola, because all that taxpayer money is going to those food stamps, which then gets spent on those cheap food products, which shouldn't even call food. They're food products. Yeah. Well, less, more product than fr- food. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so welfare and food stamps, really what it is, is it, it's not about compassion and being nice to people. It's about subsidizing these, these large companies. 
It is weird to think that. You'd think that if someone was really on food stamps, it would be interesting if the government was like, all you get is vegetables and chicken, proteins, and yeah, things like that. You are allowed to buy vegetables and chicken with food stamps. That would be amazing. Yeah. Only that. Yes. Yeah. But you're you're allowed to buy all kinds of shit with food stamps. Yeah. But I mean, I don't want to tell any... Then it gets back into the freedom thing. I mean, here's an allowance. Well, yeah, go eat whatever you want. But if you're putting just poison into your body, it's not like the government really cares. Like if no, the government no. well, was well, really well, look, trying look to which, give you a food plan. Look which industry that feeds right into. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, the sicker you are, the more hospital appointments you go to, the more prescription drugs you get on to manage your diabetes and your high blood pressure. Do and you th- it's, it's like this revolving, it's this, it's this great big subsidized system of garbage food in, garbage living out, which then people attempt to correct with more garbage medicine in. You know, and, be- and you look around society and go, hey, you know what? If we're so medically advanced, why does America look like America looks? Someone please walk around a fucking Walmart and tell me if medicine, if modern medicine is the greatest thing on planet Earth, why the fuck do Americans look like this? Because fast, beautiful now. <laughs> yeah. And so is that Down Syndrome Victoria's Secret model yeah. we're talking yeah. about. It would be interesting if, uh, you know how they have meal prep companies for bodybuilders or athletes and stuff? What if for, if you are on food what stamps? What if you took personal responsibility and meal prep for yourself on Sunday? No, what if, what you're going to say? No, what no. if instead of food stamps where it's like you get this allowance and get whatever you want at the grocery store, what if there was a company that got a government contract where the only thing you got was meal prep foods like that? Like, so you got bodybuilder food or you got a fight where it's like it broccoli just, uh, and fish. Yeah. It would just open it up to corruption, not that the food stamps aren't corrupt. Um, yeah. Because it's so easy to embezzle on a government contract because the person overseeing you doesn't understand your industry. They are a bureaucrat who don't know shit about shit. Yeah. And so all they want to know is, did you file the proper forms? And it's like that uh, that bathroom down in San Francisco that cost a million dollars to build in yeah. the park. Yeah. Because they don't know. There's, there's nobody at the city of San Francisco that knows a fucking thing about construction who can look at that budget and be like, that seems like too much for sheetrock. They're yeah. bureaucrats. They don't know a fucking thing other than how to file their reports and make sure that they're all filed correctly. So if you have a government contract to provide food services, it's very easy to embezzle on that contract because the person overseeing you doesn't know shit about buying and selling food. Yeah. They just want to make sure that all their paperwork is filed correctly so they can not have a hassle from their supervisor and hopefully get promoted. So it's like, how do you make a government that loves its citizen? And I think it's not the government. It's the citizen being the government loving its you have to go back citizen. to like, What about like a full volunteer system? No. Yeah. Well, I mean, technically being in the government's volunteering for a position. Except they all end up rich somehow. I know. Right? How, Senators and House of or uh, House reps who make what like two hundred thousand dollars a year, and somehow their their net value goes up by fifteen million dollars a year. What's Inslee worth? You think? I don't know. Jack and shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just kidding. If Jay Inslee's listening, you should come for your free week at Electric North. We'll be gentle. Yeah. Could you imagine if we got a whale oh. of a guest like that on here and talk to him? Yeah, that'd be awesome. I. I, I would I would readily I, have the man on. Yeah. And I would love to have a long conversation. I won't be like gentle or nice, but it would be fun to talk to him and actually see if he can defend himself verbally. Yeah. 
which I don't think he's capable of, which is why has he ever been on the long form podcast? That's yeah. one of the things that I'm, I'm very encouraged by with this sort of explosion of new information and new media sources is that mainstream media is dying. It's, it's inevitable. Within yeah. five to ten years, CNN, Fox News, all these, they're, they're going to be gone unless the government starts subsidizing them, which they might because it is their conduit of propaganda. But I think that by the, in another ten years, any type of candidate that wants to have like a serious shot for office will have to go on long-form interviews. Yeah. People are starting to realize that you can bullshit. Like It's so easy to bullshit a 15-second clip. But if you're going to sit down for a two-hour interview, you have to be genuine and you have to be ready to talk about the issues that uh, that are going to come up. But also, you you see the follies of weak ideas or weak thinking. When yeah. someone's on something for two hours, you really get to have a better understanding exactly. of who they are. They have to be and genuine, their and their ideas have to be well developed. Yeah. So, and I don't think Jay Inslee's. I don't think he's genuine, and I don't think his ideas are well developed. I think he's a uh, silver spoon kid who got sent to an Ivy League school and just had his whole life handed to him, and he doesn't fucking understand how things work. Yeah. Well, what does he always say? I care about the apple farmers because I'm from <laughs> whatever. <Jesus Christ. laughs> He's from some apple town. Yeah, it, it'd be nice to have. But that kind of goes back to, once again, transparency. Like the transparency of who the person is yep. and what their ideas and what their thoughts are and what their beliefs and what they see as correct actions to actually make things better. I don't know. It's a weird freaking time. It's never felt weirder. Yeah. You know? But it's, it's, it, this is like in one way, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum are right. This is a reset. It's the difference is there are two vying factions for what's going to come of the reset. We have the authoritarians and we have the libertarians. Yeah. And I think that is the true sort of culture battle we are involved in right now is. We are experiencing a reset due to the wide proliferation of information at light speed. And we're either going to end up with an authoritarian rule or we're going to end up with a libertarian rule. And it's, it's completely undecided right now. Well, it also makes me think of like China and how divided our country is and different thought different ideas of thought and how maybe one is more correct for living a life than another, but it doesn't seem like there is any middle ground. And if you kind of look like at China, I, between the rebels and the establishment, it seems like the establishment of China of the thirties is what became Taiwan, you know, and then they were considered the rebels by the uprising that came to power. But it's like, so is one going to dominate the other? Or could you see America really splitting like a Taiwan and a China in one half of America is one way and the other half of America is another way? I, That's I, the idea of like the greater Idaho, the Texas. Uh, I, I see balkanization happening right now, which yeah. is... is different parts of the country are sort of segregating themselves align, you know, based on their uh, like political alignments. But that was kind of the start of the civil war yeah, and totally. uh, recession yeah. receding from the union secession or uh, secession. Not rece we're in a recession, excuse <laughs> me, secession and re uh, receding from the union. Um, 
Yeah, it'd be weird. But then it seemed like, also on a side note, uh, it seemed like on the Civil War, you had secession happen for maybe 15 years, 10, 15 years almost. But then what really started to kick the Civil War off is when the armies are like, there were different army outposts. They had soldiers. They had weapons. And as things got more divided, states would be like, all right, we're not part of the South or we're not part of the North. We're going to get our assets out. And then one group was like, whoa, 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 that's in our state. That's our asset. And the other state's like, yeah, but these people are in line with us. Yep. And it's like, that's where the fighting happens. It seems like there's a separation of idea and people but then once resources are like going to be taken away, that's when the real fighting starts to happen. Yeah. I had a, uh, this was years ago. I had a, one of my mountain biking friends said something about, well, if Eastern Washington became its own state with Eastern Oregon, they'd have no money for any of their public schools. Cause all the, all the industry is over here. And I started laughing and I was like, but all your food and electricity comes from over there. Yeah. So how's your industry going to run? Yeah. If if you want to try to pretend you're so high and mighty over <laughs> yeah. these over these rural people. Yeah, good luck growing potatoes over in western Washington yeah, compared beef. to Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's what it is and it makes me think about war and division and resources is everything. I mean, that's so much of like the tension between Taiwan and China and us I don't know, maybe not now, because Biden just said he's not for uh, free Taiwan. But we're having a lot of problems with transistor problems, yeah. a, a huge problem, and yeah. capacitors, and that's what we need. And if it really does go down like a World War Three with China, I do feel like that's a huge thing is Japan, Taiwan, getting these resources of what your country needs once it separates it, or once well, it's, it goes deeper than that, because to build the microchips, you need the, uh, the raw materials. And a lot of that comes from Africa and now Afghanistan, which is owned by China. or run by yeah, China. China. Yeah. So even, even if we should bring things all manufacturing home, but we don't have some of these raw materials to make a lot of this stuff. And well, the Chinese now control a lot of those markets. China doesn't have them either. They're just controlling the market. Correct. So then Correct. the war becomes World War Three between they, China they and America, are, yes. but it's fought in Africa. They are the new sort of world empire emerging. Mm -hmm. But it also appears that they are doing things differently than we did. What we did was just sort of bully everybody into doing what we told them. Whereas the Chinese are investing in infrastructure across Africa and across uh uh, the Middle East. Yeah. So they're actually putting time and energy into these places. So it, it would be interesting to find out what people in these African countries, like where they're building highways and railroads, what they think of the Chinese, if it's if they're pro or anti. It's also, it kind of seems like it's not being said yet or stated, but in my opinion, I feel like there is becoming a cozy relationship with Mexico and China. Yes. And. Well, with the cartels in China. The cartels in China. The Mexican government yes. is almost uh, obsolete. Yeah. Well, but. They're kind of like the little. They're kind of like the little brother who's like, hey guys, <laughs> hey guys, hey guys, I'm in charge today. Hey guys. And the cartels are like, sit down and shut up. <laughs> Did you. 
Do you watch South Park? I haven't in so long. Uh, there's a great episode where uh, the boys wanted to go to the moon, and they hired the uh, Mexican NASA. <laughs> you never saw that one? No. It was incredible. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have a lot of that. But, um, sorry, sidetrack. But the cartel does have a lot of power. Just and, I mean, that's... Yeah. Look at how much corruption exists in Mexico compared to the United States. Unfortunately, it is worse. I would say it's worse there. So if you have... We, we have white-collar corruption. Theirs is a little more like street yes, violence corruption. Yes, yeah. yes. But the cartel plays a huge part in that. And then the yeah. cartel, their tentacles go into government. You know, and so if you have the car- sort of like our white collar corruption has its tentacles into government. Yes, yes, you know yeah. I mean? We're just playing a different. It's a different sport. They're they're doing drug trafficking. We're doing uh, big pharma, big ag, big food. So it makes me think for China instead of saddling up to the actual government to saddle up to the gov or the cartel more. Look at where all the fentanyl and all the drugs and all the trafficking's coming through from China. Yeah, raw and- materials from China. Uh, processed in Mexican labs, brought across the border into the United States. So it's smarter for China. But our police officers are given traffic tickets. <laughs> yeah, poor Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> but it's smarter to pair with the cartel than it would be with the government. And that's something that kind of scares me, too. I've, I've considered it as an employment option, should they come after me up here. In the cartel? <laughs> Tobin Escobar, <laughs> then we can grow sweet Latin oh, mustaches together. I just want to go down there and refine cocaine. I'll just work in the lab. Uh, ostrich or alligator boots? Ooh. Yeah. Ostrich. Yeah. Uh, not bad. Belt buckle? I'll take, why, how about alligator belt, ostrich boots, elephant uh, hat? Yeah, but you need a giant, like, silver belt buckle with oh, a scorpion yeah, and yeah, amber. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, just to complete the look. I want to fit in. (laughs) (laughs) I want to look like a weirdo out Uh, here. I'll get a couple. The Mexican thing does scare me a lot. The cartel and that kind of Chinese relation. And you look at the southern border, and it's not just South American. It's not really Mexicans. It's South American people. But there is a lot of, there's Koreans, there's Chinese, there's, Iranians, there's, I mean, it's just a hodgepodge of people trying to get into the United States. And who's leading this? I mean, the coyote, you know? Yeah, Uh, yeah, there's one coyote in Tijuana who's bringing hundreds of thousands of people up from South America. Right, and it's like... It it shows a very uh, high level of coordination. Right, and so you have China being very close to the cartels, and they're funneling people in. And it's also like, yes, I'm weakening it, but I'm selecting the people I want. I'm running drugs in to diminish the community. These cities that are fully populated with druggies that are creating crime and stuff, it does make me wonder, like, is there a little bit of a ploy here to China softening? If you demoralize the population enough, will they be grateful when a new leader rolls in? Like yeah, if, like yeah, yeah. If the Chinese army rolled in and said, "Hey, we're here, we're taking over," or if the UN rolled in and said, "Hey, we're here, we're taking over," if you demoralize the population enough, will they be like, oh, "Okay, good." Yeah. Well, someone that's, I mean, you don't have to be the best person, but if you're like, "I got a plan, and this is going to fix us, and we're going to do it," I'm kind of almost compelled to be like, "Yeah, let's do it." Yeah. Like, part, part of leadership is just being confident. 
Yeah. And understanding that no decision is perfect, but you just have to make a decision and then execute it with confidence. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you made the right decision. What matters is if you can execute with confidence. Yeah. Oh, man. But then that goes back to vigilanteism of the yeah. people. Once all that's happening, what happens? What, as as crime comes in, as drugs come in, as chaos comes in, as a citizen or a person that wants to live back in the the golden eighties of Chevy chase family vacation times, right. yeah, no you know what, at what point are you like, Harry this and is the Hendersons. <laughs> I want to go back to Harry and the Hendersons. That's, that's my goal in life. <laughs> that should be all of our goal. That's a good movie. But at what point, at what point do you say enough is enough or like what is actually happening? What do we do to make it better? What don't we allow in our community? Once again, it goes to that point of people in Seattle. I wonder if there will be a rise in religion. And I've been kind of noticing it. A lot of people around, it seems like a lot of Americans are returning to Christianity. And I wonder if that's because at its core religion, all religions are moral codes by which societies can agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... I think religion can be a lot of different things, uh, like Jordan Peterson. Has no, yeah, I, I absolutely. It doesn't have. To, it doesn't even have to be God. Like, yeah, yeah. I would say in the last year and a half, I've become spiritual, but I'm not. I don't adhere to a major religion. I just believe that we are all part of a underlying connected consciousness. That is what a lot of people call it. God, they call it Allah. I'll call it consciousness, and I think it's all the same thing. But I've noticed that a lot of people are returning to Christianity. Yeah. Or. or becoming uh, what, what do you call it uh, not found again but uh, con- converted spiritually yeah. awoken spiritually awoken and they're turning to Christianity which whatever like whatever floats your boat I don't care which religion you, you go to I think it's actually a good thing like I said I think you need to be spiritually centered if you're going to consider yourself a warrior and a protector mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I just hear more and more people talking about going to church and how they, they found God or whatever, and it, it's all new. You know what I mean? So who knows? Maybe America is going through a great awakening. You know what I love on the internet is when you see, like, a hot girl sing. You're like, oh, wow, she's pretty. And then you go onto her Instagram or something, and it's got, like, a God quote, like, Corinthians 316 or something. Oh, yeah. And then it's a link to their OnlyFans. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, oh, the more, the, God's really working through you here, huh? <laughs> I always thought that was weird. Even like growing up, we had a thing uh, called Young Life. Did you have that? It was like a church affiliation, like a youth group thing. Oh, we, we had youth group. Um, and youth groups the only where reason, you always went to get a hand job or like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I say we always went there just to cause trouble and raise hell. And yeah. eventually we're asking not to return. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I always remember youth group was where we, dude, you got your kisses, your first kisses oh, there. God damn you meet it. girls. I got myself kicked out in sixth grade. Oh, buddy. Son of a bitch. <laughs> and you had to go snuggle with a bunch of boys in ranger panties. <laughs> Yes, Imagine right, if yes. you stayed in the youth football group. team was as close as I yeah. got. <laughs> You'd be a priest or something yeah. over here swimming in it. <laughs> yeah, I think I I do see a lot more people. There is kind of a spiritual awakening, but I think there's a lot of awakenings uh, in is it South 
what's the South American one? Or they call it Bach tunes. Anyways, their calendar year is 800 years, and they're called Bach tunes, right? And is it the Mayan calendar? Is how it breaks it up. And this era we're entering, and I think in Hindu it's the Kali Yuga. The Kali Yuga. We are exit. I think we're exiting the Kali Yuga. There are different yugas, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we are exiting Kali. Yes, well, and, and into the next one, but I it's one it of change yes. for well, that. And it's also one of ascension. Yeah. So who knows, like, this is, now we're getting into, like, mysticism, but all these ancient cultures kind of believed in similar versions of the but same thing. is that really mysticism, or is that, like we say in government, like, the pendulum swings back yes. and forth. Yep. No, what it, is 800 the years? Yugas, that's where the infinity symbol comes exactly. from. Exactly. the yugas. And but, we are crossing the X, right? So yes. You, you, I almost said yes. something when you were talking about yeah. the X earlier. But and we're, cro- we're, we're about to cross the X as we're headed yeah. into the latter half of ascension. So what is that like? Okay, you have it. Sw- the pendulum swings every 10, 20 years. But then what does it swing every 40 to 80 years? What does it swing every 100 to 200 years? I think years? the Yugas are like 2,500 years. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. once you have a society that's been built and ruled and dominated and now more is happening in communication... Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe it's we're headed just, for a, like a whole world shakeup that will last yeah, yeah. generations. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Where where does it stop? Yeah. Like this? We, we think in terms of our lifetime or in like twenty year blocks, but really we may be experiencing the beginning of a of a massive world shakeup. Yeah. I think we are. Yeah. I mean, with the rate of technology and just I don't know, people's understanding of the world they live in and how <laughs> leaders affect it how communities affect it i think it is unlike any time we've ever had where this is the most important time that we've ever been every 100 years ago that was the most important time and what was happening uh industry change tech and then so it's happening again 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 and it it seems like but this is the most important one where it seems to have the most effect and the most long-lasting effect Sorry, yeah. getting over being sick. Well, yeah, so well, let's think about it in terms of this. Like, what if World War I was the end of the old, like truly the end of the old feudal system of kings and czars and yeah. sort of royalty, and now we, you know, in 1913 or 10 or whenever that started, we sort of entered what will be like a 500-year shakeup of power structures on planet Earth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, in... There's two real things I really want to happen in this world. One is, like, enlightenment. I do think human beings are amazing, and our potential far exceeds our our, our negative consequences in this world. You're going to like this next book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, but I do think we have a huge potential, and... Whenever you, to get big muscles, it takes pain. You gotta you gotta break down muscle fibers, have lactic acid, go through agony emotionally and physically, but you become stronger for it. I do in my heart hope that there this for all the fucking negativity we're going through, it does make us stronger and unconditionally humans as a species rise to that next level. We get our next belt in human jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right. My second wish is that 
enlightened Neanderthals. I've been thinking about this. I want to get to a point where we can sell out a theater. Wouldn't that be so fun? Like for like a live podcast, an evening with the Neanderthals. That would be fucking fun. That's my other dream. All right. I mean, maybe human enlightenment's cool, but mainly let's go with the sell out of a theater, buddy. Goddamn right. Yeah. Let's put we'll put that on the vision board. I'm I'm putting that on my vision board. All right. I like that. Yeah. Um, Along those notes, I think we're kind of winding down here a little bit. If you guys are enjoying the show, please share it with friends and family because it is hard to get the word out that the show exists. And so our, our biggest challenge for the next year, we're, we're yeah, I think April will be, I think we released, released our first show in April. So yeah. we're closing in on a year. And uh, yeah, we're, we're doing well. Actually, the latest numbers are good. But we're It's something like 400 listeners per episode, which is so- crazy. It sounds like nothing, but consistently to have that yeah i mean where we sit at, let's toot our own horn this is crazy it said we're in the top 10 percent of podcasts in all of the world just because there's so many yes. podcasts out there and it's like bill's talking about lincoln logs and like someone will listen for two episodes they're like this is dumb yeah. to consistently have people listen to it and download it but i'm sure that there are a lot out there where they they uploaded three episodes and then like oh, okay I don't, I don't actually have the staying power you know what i mean like think about how many people go to the gym after new year's yeah. for two weeks yeah and it's like eh, i got other shit to do yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. just i think the fact that we have maintained consistency is is what has put us there yeah but you're right. We are. We somehow we are in the top ten percent of worldwide podcasts. So yeah. we'll take it, even if it's a, uh, even if it's a little bit of a consolation prize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, oh, Perfect. Man. All right, guys. We'll uh, we'll catch y'all next time. Later. <laughs>